Unshackled of Pacific Garden Mission presents History's Greatest Sermons, where we share the personal history of godly men who brought forth the truth of the gospel in powerful sermons to a world long ago. And now, here are your hosts, Tim Lundeen and Kelly Robbins. Well, Kelly, welcome back. It's good to see you again. And you, Tim. Welcome, listeners. Yes, welcome, listeners. We have to dive right in Mm -hmm. for a couple reasons. First of all, this is going to be another two-parter. So uh, buckle up and uh, be prepared to either access the second episode using our app. You can go online and check that out, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, The reason why it's a two-parter is it is a very famous sermon by Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Mm -hmm. This sermon is still talked about today. It is studied and researched and all the rest. But let me tell you quick a little bit about Jonathan Edwards for those of you who have never heard of him. Uh, he was born in 1703 in Connecticut, so quite a while ago. Uh, he had allegedly 10 sisters. Wow. That might explain a little bit it about would, his passion. Yes. <laughs> uh, his father was a pastor and his grandfather was a pastor. And keep that in the back of your mind. He entered Yale University at the age of 13, Whoa. which was a thing back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, he, got, he gets out of that and he becomes a pastor pretty much right away. And his story is fascinating, but... My goodness, we could spend a whole episode just talking about him. Mm-hmm. That's not why we're here. Right. We're here to hear this sermon. Now, sinners in the hands of an angry God, uh, please give him some grace as you're paying attention. It is not a bright and cheery, positive message. You are not going to hear this at some mega church, mm-hmm. but we need to hear this message. That's all I have to say. I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I will add, listen to the imagery. Listen to what he's doing through what he's saying. You know what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. And if you listen that way, you will be stunned. This is Jonathan Edwards and his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Their foot shall slide in due time. Deuteronomy 32, 35. In this verse is threatened the vengeance of God on the wicked, unbelieving Israelites who were God's visible people and who lived under the means of grace, but who, notwithstanding all God's wonderful works towards them, remained void of counsel, having no understanding in them. Under all the cultivations of heaven, they brought forth bitter and poisonous fruit, as in the two verses next preceding the text. The expression I have chosen for my text, their foot shall slide in due time, seems to imply the following doings relating to the punishment and destruction to which these wicked Israelites were exposed. 1. That they were always exposed to destruction, as one that stands or walks in slippery places is always exposed to fall. This is implied in the manner of their destruction coming upon them, being represented by their foot sliding. The same is expressed, Psalm 73, 18. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castedest them down into destruction. 2. It implies that they were always exposed to sudden, unexpected destruction. As he that walks in slippery places is every moment liable to fall, he cannot foresee one moment whether he shall stand or fall the next. And when he does fall, he falls at once without warning, 
which is also expressed in Psalm 73, 18, 19. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castedest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? Three, another thing implied is that they are liable to fall of themselves without being thrown down by the hand of another, as he that stands or walks on slippery ground needs nothing but his own weight to throw him down. Four, that the reason why they are not fallen already and do not fall now is only that God's appointed time is not come. For it is said that when that due time or appointed time comes, their foot shall slide. Then they shall be left to fall as they are inclined by their own weight. God will not hold them up in these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And then at that very instant, they shall fall into destruction as he that stands on such slippery declining ground on the edge of a pit, he cannot stand alone. When he is let go, he immediately falls and is lost. The observation from the words that I would now insist upon is this. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. By the mere pleasure of God, I mean his sovereign pleasure, his arbitrary will, restrained by no obligation, hindered by no manner of difficulty, any more than if nothing else but God's mere will had in the least degree, or in any respect whatsoever, any hand in the preservation of wicked men one moment. The truth of this observation may appear by the following considerations. One. There is no want of power in God to cast wicked men into hell at any moment. Men's hands cannot be strong when God rises up. The strongest have no power to resist him, nor can any deliver out of his hands. He is not only able to cast wicked men into hell, but he can most easily do it. Sometimes an earthly prince meets with a great deal of difficulty to subdue a rebel who has found means to fortify himself and has made himself strong by the numbers of his followers. But it is not so with God. There is no fortress that is any defense from the power of God. Though hand join in hand and vast multitudes of God's enemies combine and associate themselves, they are easily broken in pieces. They are as great heaps of light chaff before the whirlwind, or large quantities of dry stubble before devouring flames. We find it easy to tread on and crush a worm that we see crawling on the earth, so it is easy for us to cut or singe a slender thread that anything hangs by. Thus easy is it for God, when he pleases, to cast his enemies down to hell. What are we? that we should think to stand before him, at whose rebuke the earth trembles and before whom the rocks are thrown down. Two, they deserve to be cast into hell, so that divine justice never stands in the way. It makes no objection against God's using his power at any moment to destroy them. Yea, on the contrary, justice calls aloud for an infinite punishment of their sins. Divine justice says of the tree that brings forth such grapes of Sodom, cut it down, 
Why cumbereth it the ground? Luke 13, 7. The sword of divine justice is every moment brandished over their heads, and it is nothing but the hand of arbitrary mercy and God's mere will that holds it back. 3. They are already under a sentence of condemnation to hell. They do not only justly deserve to be cast down thither, but the sentence of the law of God, that eternal and immutable rule of righteousness that God has fixed between him and mankind, is gone out against them and stands against them, so that they are bound over already to hell. John 3, 18, He that believeth not is condemned already, so that every unconverted man properly belongs to hell. That is his place. From thence he is, John 8, 23, ye are from beneath. And thither be is bound. It is the place that justice and God's word and the sentence of his unchangeable law assign to him. Four, they are now the objects of that very same anger and wrath of God that is expressed in the torments of hell. And the reason why they do not go down to hell at each moment is not because God, in whose power they are, is not then very angry with them, as he is with many miserable creatures now tormented in hell, who there feel and bear the fierceness of his wrath. Yea, God is a great deal more angry with great numbers that are now on earth, Yea, doubtless with many that are now in this congregation who it may be are at ease than he is with many of those who are now in the flames of hell. So that it is not because God is unmindful of their wickedness and does not resent it that he does not let loose his hand and cut them off. God is not altogether such an one as themselves, though they may imagine him to be so. The wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them, and the pit hath opened its mouth under them. Five. The devil stands ready to fall upon them and seize them as his own at what moment God shall permit him. They belong to him. He has their souls in his possession and under his dominion. The scripture represents them as his goods. Luke eleven twelve. The devils watch them. They are ever by them at their right hand. They stand waiting for them like greedy, hungry lions that see their prey and expect to have it, but are for the present kept back. If God should withdraw his hand, by which they are restrained, they would in one moment fly upon their poor souls. The old serpent is gaping for them. Hell opens its mouth wide to receive them, and if God should permit it, they would be hastily swallowed up and lost. 6. There are in the souls of wicked men those hellish principles reigning that would presently kindle and flame out into hellfire if it were not for God's restraints. There is laid in the very nature of carnal men a foundation for the torments of hell. 
There are those corrupt principles in reigning power in them and in full possession of them that are seeds of hellfire. These principles are active and powerful, exceeding violent in their nature, and if it were not for the restraining hand of God upon them, they would soon break out. They would flame out after the same manner as the same corruptions, the same enmity does in the hearts of damned souls, and would beget the same torments as they do in them. The souls of the wicked are in Scripture compared to the troubled sea, Isaiah 57, 20. For the present, God restrains their wickedness by his mighty power as he does the raging waves of the troubled sea, saying, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further. But if God should withdraw that restraining power, it would soon carry all before it. Sin is the ruin and misery of the soul. It is destructive in its nature, and if God should leave it without restraint, there would need nothing else to make the soul perfectly miserable. The corruption of the heart of man is immoderate and boundless in its fury, and while wicked men live here, it is like fire pent up by God's restraints, whereas if it were let loose, it would set on fire the course of nature, and as the heart is now a sink of sin, so if sin was not restrained, it would immediately turn the soul into a fiery oven or a furnace of fire and brimstone. 7. It is no security to wicked men for one moment that there are no visible means of death at hand. It is no security to a natural man that he is now in health and that he does not see which way he should now immediately go out of the world by any accident, and that there is no visible danger in any respect in his circumstances. The manifold and continual experience of the world in all ages shows this is no evidence that a man is not on the very brink of eternity and that the next step will not be into another world. The unseen, unthought-of ways and means of persons going suddenly out of the world are innumerable and inconceivable. Unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten covering, and there are innumerable places in this covering so weak that they will not bear their weight, and these places are not seen. The arrows of death fly unseen at noonday. The sharpest sight cannot discern them. God has so many different unsearchable ways of taking wicked men out of the world and sending them to hell that there is nothing to make it appear that God had need to be at the expense of a miracle or go out of the ordinary course of his providence to destroy any wicked man at any moment. All the means that there are of sinners going out of the world are so in God's hands and so universally and absolutely subject to his power and determination that it does not depend at all the less on the mere will of God whether sinners shall at any moment go to hell than if means were never made use of or at all concerned in the case. Natural men's prudence and care to preserve their own lives or the care of others to preserve them, do not secure them a moment. To this, divine providence and universal experience do also bear testimony. 
There is this clear evidence that men's own wisdom is no security to them from death, that if it were otherwise, we should see some difference between the wise and politic men of the world and others with regard to their libelness to early and unexpected death. But how is it in fact? Ecclesiastes 2.16 How dieth the wise man, even as the fool? 9. All wicked men's pains and contrivance, which they use to escape hell, while they continue to reject Christ, and so remain wicked men, do not secure them from hell one moment. Almost every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he shall escape it. He depends upon himself for his own security. He flatters himself in what he has done, in what he is now doing, or what he intends to do. Everyone lays out matters in his own mind how he shall avoid damnation and flatters himself that he contrives well for himself and that his schemes will not fail. They hear indeed that there are but few saved and that the greater part of men that have died heretofore are gone to hell. But each one imagines that he lays out matters better for his own escape than others have done. He does not intend to come to that place of torment. He says within himself that he intends to take effectual care and to order matters so for himself as not to fail. But the foolish children of men miserably delude themselves in their own schemes and in confidence in their own strength and wisdom. They trust to nothing but a shadow. The greater part of those who heretofore have lived under the same means of grace and are now dead are undoubtedly gone to hell. And it was not because they were not as wise as those who are now alive. It was not because they did not lay out matters as well for themselves to secure their own escape. If we could speak with them and inquire of them one by one whether they expected when alive and when they used to hear about hell ever to be the subjects of that misery, we doubtless should hear one and another reply, No, I never intended to come here. I had laid out matters otherwise in my mind. I thought I should contrive well for myself. I thought my scheme good. I intended to take effectual care, but it came upon me unexpected. I did not look for it at that time, and in that manner it came as a thief. Death outwitted me. God's wrath was too quick for me. Oh, my cursed foolishness. I was flattering myself and pleasing myself with vain dreams of what I would do hereafter. And when I was saying peace and safety, then suddenly destruction came upon me. 10. God has laid himself under no obligation by any promise to keep any natural man out of hell one moment. God certainly has made no promises either of eternal life or of any deliverance or preservation from eternal death, but what are contained in the covenant of grace, the promises that are given in Christ, in whom all the promises are yea and amen. But surely they have no interest in the promises of the covenant of grace, who are not the children of the covenant who do not believe in any of the promises and have no interest in the mediator of the covenant. So that, whatever some have imagined and pretended about promises made to natural men's earnest seeking and knocking, 
It is plain and manifest that whatever pains a natural man takes in religion, whatever prayers he makes, till he believes in Christ, God is under no manner of obligation to keep him a moment from eternal destruction. So that, thus it is that natural men are held in the hand of God over the pit of hell. They have deserved the fiery pit and are already sentenced to it. And God is dreadfully provoked. His anger is as great towards them as to those that are actually suffering the executions of the fierceness of his wrath in hell. And they have done nothing in the least to appease or abate that anger. Neither is God in the least bound by any promise to hold them up one moment. The devil is waiting for them. Hell is gaping for them. The flames gather and flash about them and would fain lay hold on them and swallow them up. The fire pent up in their own hearts is struggling to break out. And they have no interest in any mediator. There are no means within reach that can be any security to them. In short, they have no refuge. Nothing to take hold of. All that preserves them every moment is the mere arbitrary will and uncovenanted, unobliged forbearance of an incensed God. Application. The use of this awful subject may be for awakening unconverted persons in this congregation. This that you have heard is the case of every one of you that are out of Christ. That world of misery, that lake of burning brimstone is extended abroad under you. There is the dreadful pit of the glowing flames of the wrath of God. There is hell's wide gaping mouth open and you have nothing to stand upon, nor anything to take hold of. There is nothing between you and hell but the air. It is only the power and mere pleasure of God that holds you up. You probably are not sensible of this. You find you are kept out of hell, but do not see the hand of God in it. But look at other things as the good state of your bodily constitution, your care of your own life, and the means you use for your own preservation. But indeed, these things are nothing. If God should withdraw his hand, they would avail no more to keep you from falling than the thin air to hold up a person that is suspended in it. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead, and to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf, and your healthy constitution, and your own care and prudence, and best contrivance, and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Were it not for the sovereign pleasure of God, the earth would not bear you one moment, for you are a burden to it. The creation groans with you. The creature is made subject to the bondage of your corruption, not willingly. The sun does not willingly shine upon you to give you lights to serve sin and Satan. The earth does not willingly yield her increase to satisfy your lusts, nor is it willingly a stage for your wickedness to be acted upon. 
The air does not willingly serve you for breath to maintain the flame of life in your vitals while you spend your life in the service of God's enemies. God's creatures are good and were made for men to serve God with and do not willingly subserve to any other purpose and groan when they are abused to purposes so directly contrary to their nature and end. And the world would spew you out were it not for the sovereign hand of him who hath subjected it in hope. There are black clouds of God's wrath now hanging directly over your heads, full of the dreadful storm and big with thunder, and were it not for the restraining hand of God, it would immediately burst forth upon you. The sovereign pleasure of God for the present stays his rough wind. Otherwise, it would come with fury, and your destruction would come like a whirlwind, and you would be like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. The wrath of God is like great waters that are dammed for the present. They increase more and more and rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty its course when once it is let loose. It is true that judgment against your evil works has not been executed hitherto. The floods of God's vengeance have been withheld. But your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing. And you are every day treasuring up more wrath. The waters are constantly rising and waxing more and more mighty, and there is nothing but the mere pleasure of God that holds the waters back that are unwilling to be stopped and press hard to go forward. If God should only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open, and the fiery floods of the fierceness and wrath of God would rush forth with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. And if your strength were ten thousand times greater than it is, yea, ten thousand times greater than the strength of the stoutest, sturdiest devil in hell, it would be nothing to withstand or endure it. The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Thus all you that never passed under a great change of heart by the mighty power of the Spirit of God upon your souls, all you that were never born again and made new creatures and raised from being dead in sin to a state of new and before altogether unexperienced light and life are in the hands of an angry God. However you may have reformed your life in many things and may have had religious affections, and may keep up a form of religion in your families and closets and in the house of God, it is nothing but his mere pleasure that keeps you from being this moment swallowed up in everlasting destruction. However unconvinced you may now be of the truth of what you hear, by and by you will be fully convinced of it. Those that are gone from being in the like circumstances with you see that it was so with them. 
for destruction came suddenly upon most of them when they expected nothing of it. And while they were saying peace and safety, now they see that those things on which they depended for peace and safety were nothing but thin air and empty shadows. That was Jonathan Edwards, portrayed by Jeff Parker. And oh, I hope that you really heard the imagery underneath. Yeah. Such evocative things. The arrow pointed at its full extension, aimed right at your heart, ready to drink of you, Justice. Yeah. Wow. But right? yeah, the, 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 what I was hoping I walked away with, and I hope you also walked away with this, is that that very hand, that the, we're sinners in the hands of an angry God, that very hand is a restraining hand. Right. He's not walking all over the earth, bashing us. It's that he is restraining the very uh, horrible things that we deserve. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I think because of my exposure to sinners in the hands of an angry God from a distance, mm. I completely missed that. Yeah. And hearing it this time, I thought, I'm hearing more of the mercy of God, not yes. the anger of God. Yes, yes. And what comes to mind, sorry to do this, but Marvel and the movies and the person who can put up the force field holding back the terrible earthquake or the fire or the calamity. And they they place a barrier. God is placing a barrier between his wrath and justice and us for a time. He closes this half of the sermon with this statement. All you that were never born again Mm -hmm. are in the hands of an angry God. And he reiterates, it's not our works or our religion, but it's only God's pleasure that keeps us from being swallowed up in everlasting destruction. God is wanting that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But to, to, to understand the full force of this, please listen to part two. And you can get that on our app or you can shoot us an email, podcast at unshackled.com. But definitely listen to part two. This has been History's Greatest Sermons. An Unshackled production of Pacific Garden Mission, produced and directed by Timothy Gregory. To hear more Unshackled content, you can download our app. Get it for free at any of the major app stores. For more information, visit unshackled.org. Join us next time as we experience another one of history's greatest sermons.